0: Welcome back. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that video before, but if you had not, did you know the whole time that the artist was painting a portrait of Jesus? I didn't. At first, everything just seemed like he was randomly scribbling on the canvas, random globs of paint thrown on this black canvas, and, and even the way he painted seemed to be random, not controlled. I kept looking to see if I could make sense Uh, of what he was trying to do. It wasn't until he decided to flip the entire painting around that I, along with the audience in the video, and maybe some of you, were shocked to find an amazing portrait of Jesus. All those seemingly random moments, the seemingly uncontrolled chaos that was happening on the canvas led to a beautifully crafted painting that was not at all random. I was the one who could not see. I was the one who could not understand yet. When the artist decided it was time, he flipped over the canvas and revealed what he had been doing all along. He was never not in control. I was just not in on the details of the plan. But there most definitely was a plan. And when the artist chose to reveal it, we all had that aha moment. Have you ever just said, God, can you just tell me what the plan is? Can you just tell me what's the plan? I know I have so many times. the scripture we're going to be looking at today is found in John, Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 3 through 7. And it reads like this. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all these things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. See, the scripture we're looking at today is usually read, when we're going to give a Bible study or a teaching about the practice of washing the feet of the saints, or to give a lesson about Christ's servant leadership. These are important aspects worthy of our attention. But I want to focus on what seems to be a quick phrase said in passing from Jesus to Peter that, while probably spoken in the span of a few seconds, it continues to reverberate throughout history and is applicable to so many seasons of our lives for the sake of context, I'd like to quickly recap what was going on in this moment. Jesus was just a few hours from being betrayed and arrested, and He had gathered His disciples for their final Passover meal. This was one of the last moments with His disciples, and there are still lessons to be taught and learned, even with the betrayal and crucifixion lurking around the corner. In the upper room, Jesus takes the opportunity to teach his disciples a valuable and critical lesson on servanthood. He performs a task reserved for the most lowly of servants, washing the dust off of the guests' feet. He gets the towel, wraps it around his waist. He gets on his knees and begins washing the disciples' feet. When he arrives to Simon Peter, Peter is not having it. There is no way he will let the Lord degrade himself in such a way. He tries to impede Jesus from washing his feet. And this is when Jesus says something that rocked my world, and I would like to share it with you today. Again, verse 7 of chapter 13 of John, it says, Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand Now, Peter is not deterred by that bomb, and for at least another verse, he's still adamant that Jesus will not wash his feet. Eventually, he relents. But please take a moment to read the whole chapter, uh, you know, on on your own, at home, with your family. Read this whole chapter. In fact, I would encourage you to read all the way from 13 through 17, these final lessons of Jesus to his disciples. Such a powerful uh, piece of scripture. But for now, I would like to focus on this verse that continues to jump out of the page. And I have to be honest, it jumped out of the page, not particularly, not particularly because I loved what was being said. You don't understand what I'm doing now, but later or afterwards, you will. How does that make you feel? It didn't make me feel great. <laughs> That's not an answer that I would be uh, uh, enjoyed to receive. See, Peter truly did not know what being a servant leader was all about yet. He took some bumps along the way uh, because of this, and and this seemingly random act of Jesus, this out of place, uh, why are you making me feel uncomfortable act of Jesus, was part of a bigger plan to help Peter walk in his purpose, but Peter could not see that now. Eventually he did understand. What did not make sense then, eventually did. Now, that being said, when I don't understand something, I don't like to be in that place of not understanding. To hear the words, you don't understand the plan, and that's okay. That's something I would struggle with, especially now in this time when I can ask Google anything, where I can practically learn how to build a car on YouTube. If I don't understand something, there are a myriad of options to automatically be able to understand. But there are some things in this life, my brothers and sisters, that don't make sense. And there is no Google search that can help us comprehend. There is no YouTube video that will explain step-by-step what God is doing in our lives. Sometimes, God is working in our lives in a way that seems like the artist that we saw in the video. What seem to be random strokes of the paintbrush that seem to create a lot more mess than masterpiece. And when we ask for an explanation, as we sometimes do, as if we could demand one, I encounter this verse that calmly but authoritatively tells me, Javier, you do not understand what I'm doing. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I clearly understand that I don't understand. This is the part though, God, where you, get, where you explain to me what you're doing in my life so I don't panic. This is the part where you send a prophet to explain to me the blueprints, uh, and and then I can have peace of mind. This is the part where I open my Bible, and and I just flip to a page, and it clearly states step one, two, and three of what you're going to do and how we're going to get through this process. But when we look at the scripture, Jesus did not say to Peter, you do not understand what I'm doing, so sit down and let me explain everything to you. While Jesus eventually talked about why he was doing what he was doing to all of his disciples, like many of his lessons, I don't think it was until Peter had his own experiences that he truly grasped what the Lord was trying to teach him. And This is a point that I would like for you to take with you today. We won't always understand what God is doing in our lives in a particular moment. But here's the kicker. That's okay. Jesus said, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing, but eventually you will. And that's a tough pill to swallow. But I want you to focus on this part. You don't understand what I am doing. I invite you today to focus not so much on the not understanding part, but the what I am doing part. It doesn't say you don't understand what the enemy is doing. It doesn't say you don't understand what that evil boss you have is doing. Or what the government is doing. He says, you don't understand yet what I am doing. And that right there is the part that gives me peace. Even if it did not say the part where it says, but you will understand later on. The fact that God is in charge of the process fills me with peace. Because I know he loves me. A lot of times we blame the enemy for every tough moment or process that we have been through, but we've been learning in the Wednesday night Bible study on Jonah that God not only calms storms, but he could send one too. By the way, if you're not joining our Wednesday night Bible studies, you're missing out. The Jonah Bible study is amazing, so please uh, consider joining us. So sometimes God can send a storm, but if God sends the storm, If he is in charge of the process, then I am at peace. Even if I don't understand every aspect of the plan. So you could take a moment right there in the comments and just write, Lord, help me trust that you're in control. Write it there in the comments, Lord, help me trust that you are in control, because he is in control, whether we believe it or not, thank God, but say there with me, Lord, Help me trust that you are in control. Now, I'd like to take a moment and talk about a man who had definitely had some questions for God while in the middle of a process that I would not wish on my worst enemy. I'm talking about Job, someone who lost everything he had, including his children, all on the same day. If I were losing, uh, if losing, I'm sorry, if losing all of his property and his children were not enough, his health began to fail him and his wife basically was waiting for him to die and he had friends that with friends like those who needs enemies think about that everything he had he lost in one day including his precious children now i'm always humbled and awed by job's initial reaction to being told the news of his horrible losses and his children's deaths in job chapter 1 verses 18 18 through 22 it says while he was yet speaking there came another and said your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house and behold a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead and i alone have escaped to tell you then job arose and and tore his robe shaved his head and fell on the ground and here's the kicker And he worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. His initial reaction was to tear his robes in a display of extreme anguish and grief. Totally understandable. However, it's the next part that kills me. He fell on the ground and he worshiped God. Reading that, I I have to take a moment and just say, I still have a lot of room to grow (laughs) because I cannot guarantee that part of my initial reaction to that grief would be to worship. But it's such a powerful statement that says, Lord, you give and you take away and you are still worthy of praise. You are still worthy of my worship. It is something that I am learning. My wife and I, uh, as many of you know, struggle with infertility issues. And I always remember something that my dad told me about the years that he, both he and my mom also struggled with infertility. He prayed for a long time. He had moments where he prayed and said, God, why would you not give us a child? But eventually, as God continued to mold him, his prayer began to turn into, Lord, whether you give me a child or you do not, whether we, you, you bless us with the fruit of our love or whether we never conceive, I will continue to praise you. I will continue to worship you. If you do not give me the desire of my heart, you are still a good God. Man, what a victory over the enemy who tries to make our love for God conditional, nothing more than a deal or an exchange of benefits. Man, but when your praise and worship is no longer linked to the blessings that God gives, but the giver of the blessings, the enemy has lost one of his major tools to pull you away from Jesus. When you get to the point, as Job said, though he slay me, still I will trust in him. What else can the enemy take from you? When we get to that place like Paul, where he said that to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we graduate to that faith where Paul says that everything I have and everything I own and everything I've accomplished, I count it as garbage when compared to knowing Christ. Your praise and worship will have no limits. So I'm praying that prayer as my dad prayed. Still believing that God can answer our prayer for a child. The way he answered it for my father, obviously. But proclaiming, God, you are still worthy. Even if I don't understand what you are doing or why you are doing it this way, blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you say that with me in the comments? Blessed be the name of the Lord. I trust you, Lord God. Now, Job wasn't perfect man who was made of flesh and blood and he did have a moment where he wanted to know what God was up to. He wanted an explanation. He wanted, like many of us, a clue as to what the end game was. Have you ever wanted to know, Lord, just tell me what the plan is. God, can you tell me what is the plan? Look at Job 23. In Job chapter 23, we see a Job who is searching, searching for an answer, looking for God even. Job chapter 23 says, Then Job replied, Even today my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him. I would fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No. He would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him, and there I would be delivered forever from my judge. But listen to this. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him. And when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Man, Job says in verse 8, I go in search of God to the east and he is not there. I go to the west and in this version it says, and I do not find him. In the original text in Hebrew, it says I cannot perceive him. I can't even sense him. When he is at work in the north, I do not see him, and when he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. In other words, everywhere I turn, I'm trying to get an answer from God, but he seems to elude me. It seems like he's evading me. It's like the opposite of the song that says, everywhere I look, your love is all around. It's the opposite, it's like everywhere I look, I don't see you. In fact, I could even say I don't feel loved. And Job says, no matter where I search, I can't find you. You won't show or reveal yourself or your plan to me. Has anybody felt like Job before? Like you're running after God and he won't appear and give you an answer? Have you ever felt like you've been trying to get an audience with God to see what his will is and you feel like he's avoiding you? I've been there. I'm telling God, I'm like, God, I I don't need much. Just tell me everything's gonna be okay. Just just reveal maybe what the next three steps are. That way I can just be more calm and be less anxious, use less faith. Just tell me something because I don't see a masterpiece being painted. I just see the mess that I seem to be at this moment. Job says something interesting here. In verse nine, he says, "'When God is at work in the north, I do not see him. In the Spanish translation, I love it because it says when he shows his power to the north, obviously in his works is his power. And so when he shows his power in the north, I do not see him. And while Job seems to be bummed about the fact that God is showing off his power and working in the north, while Job seems to be in the south, so he can't see him. I think this reveals something interesting about how God works sometimes in our lives. Sometimes I'm in the South, not the literal South, obviously. But I'm in the South, I feel like I'm on the opposite direction of where God is. And God seems, God is working in my favor in the North, or to the North, out of my sight, but He is working. Our humanity is so quick to assume that if we can't see God obviously working, then it means He's not working. Let me assure you today, with the words of Jesus. He says in John chapter five, verse 17, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So Job says that God is working in the north and he says, I I, I can't see him. Church, let him work. (laughs) Even though I can't see him work does not mean he's not working. It doesn't mean that he's not working. Many times he's working, even though I can't see him. And he's working for my benefit. I could be in the South and God is in the North working in my favor. He's over there showing his power, moving things that I could never move by myself, changing hearts that I could never change, moving, uh, opening doors that I could never open and closing doors that I would not have ever noticed were harmful for me. He's fighting back the enemy, closing the mouths of lions. But because it's not done in my face, and God did not give me a huge heads up by opening the heavens and him giving me a rundown of his schedule, of all the work he's going to do on my behalf, I'm over here, what seems to be in the south or the east or the west, saying, well, since I don't perceive him, he must not be working in my favor. In fact, we could even get to the point like Zion did in Isaiah chapter 49, 14. Isaiah 49, 14 says, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. I don't know if you've ever been at that place where you said the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten about me. I love God's response in the following verses. God says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, which seems to be an impossibility, though she may forget, I will never forget you. You see, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Think about that for a second. We when we are, are trying to remember something, now we all have our, our phones, but I remember back in the day, <laughs> when I needed to remember something quickly, you know where I jotted it down? On the palm of my hand. Because my hands, our hands are the part of our body that are actually the most visible to us. We see our, our hands more than any other part of our body. And so that's why it makes sense to write something there, there on your on your hands, it's because you're constantly seeing it. And I love it because even though God does not need a reminder, he lets us know, I have engraved you in the palm of my hands. And how are we engraved in the palm of God's hands? Just look at Jesus' nail scarred hands, which could have been healed after the resurrection. He could have got in his glorified body without any scars, and yet he resurrects with scars. So it's almost like saying, I have you sculpted is another way that uh, another word version says it. I have you sculpted in my hands. The nails sculpted our names on his hands. And even though he doesn't need a reminder, they're always there that he loves us and the sacrifice that he did for us. God will never forget you. Let me tell you, God does not need a foreman or a manager to keep him on task. He is faithful, the Bible says, to complete the work that he has begun in you. If we got a rundown of everything God was going to do with us and when and how he was going to do it, there would be no room for us to exercise faith. And we need to exercise our faith. For without faith, the word says, it is impossible to please God. So I want you to take a moment and write in the comments, not knowing the the whole plan lets me exercise my faith. Not knowing the whole plan lets me exercise my faith. God allows me a space to exercise my faith and show that I trust him. This is why God is not in the business of trying to do displays of power just to make you and me feel good. The Lord is displaying his power where it needs to be displayed. He is taking the heart of stone of that husband and making it a heart of flesh. It's providing healing where the doctor said there was nothing to be done. He is not flashing with his power necessarily just so that I can see, oh yeah, he's still there. Oh yeah, he exists. He's too work. He's too busy actually working on your behalf and my behalf. Let him work, church. He still has not flipped the painting around, but he will soon. And what you don't understand now, you will. Instead of praying for a sign, let's pray, Lord, help me to trust you more. Instead of saying, Lord, show me something, wow me, let me know that you're going to make a way. How about we say, Lord, I believe that even if I cannot see you working, you are shaking things up behind the scenes. The Israelites saw so many signs and wonders, and yet they still doubted God. They still complained. They saw the the sea open up before them and there was dry land. They saw food fall from heaven. They saw water burst forth from a rock. They saw the mountains tremble and shake and God's presence literally be on the mountain. What makes us think we are any different? Signs and wonders won't necessarily enhance our faith. Instead of searching for a sign, I invite you, and I invite myself, instead of searching for a sign, I will search my heart and say, Lord, help me believe. Help me trust you more. My last point today is even though Job says, I search north, south, east, and west for you, and I cannot find you, almost as a complaint, He remembers the most important thing in verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. See church, I may not always be privy to every step God is taking. I may not always be able to know his ways because as the word says, his ways are higher than our ways. But even if I don't know where God is working, every waking second, know this, that he knows where you are at all times. As the song says and the verse also says, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Let me tell you, church, it is more important that God has his eye on you and me than me trying to keep an eye on God to make sure he's working on, on my behalf. Oh, it always makes me think of that story of uh, the little girl who unfortunately was caught up in a fire and uh, the father uh, was able to get out and he, he saw that his daughter was still inside and he, he calls from outside. He says, uh, he called, baby, just, just jump, jump. I see you. And the problem was that she could not see the dad because of all the smoke. And so she's in that second floor and he's saying, I got you. I got you. Just jump. I, I, and she's like, dad, I don't see you. I don't see you. But he says, it's okay. I see you see you perfectly and how many times is it like that where we don't want to jump we, we lack in our faith and it's because we, we don't feel like we can see God it seems like an unsure jump but when his eye is on us it is never unsure when his eye is on us a leap of faith is a leap of security it's a leap of safety there are things and works of God that he allows us to discern and be witnesses from start to finish. There are things that happen, and the whole time that it's happening, you can say, whoa, 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 God is in this. I see him working. There's no way this would have happened if God was not moving things around. Has anybody ever had one of those moments where you're able to discern God is moving and you see him just working? However, there are other works of God that it is not our place to know or understand, only believe and trust that the artist knows what he's doing and that the chaos is leading up to a masterpiece that will be revealed once he decides it's time to flip the painting. In the video we saw, nobody went up to the artist and demanded that he turn the painting around or or that he explained beforehand what he was going to do. The only person who decided when it was time to let the audience in on what he was doing was the artist. While the audience and you and me might have doubted even the artistic capabilities of the artist, in his mind, there was no question of how this was going to turn out. He was in control, and that's all that matters. Let God finish what he's working on in your life. In the midst of what's going on around us, and especially right now, in the midst of the quarantine and and the uncertainty that surrounds us, it may seem like chaos. Like if God is not in control. You might even feel like you're searching for him, but you feel like you always just missed him. Please take this with you today, church. Never mistake the silence of God for inactivity. Never mistake the silence of God for inactivity. The Lord is working and he's working for us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? Sometimes he gives us as, as, uh, uh, you know, someone once mentioned, he gives us the gift of silence. And how can silence be a gift? Silence a lot of times just brings anxiety and frustration and, and fear. However, it is that silence that allows us to grow and mature in our faith. So when we are encountered with the silence of God, don't let the enemy let you mistake it for God is not working or he's inactive. The Lord is working. Trust that. Jesus is telling you today as he told Peter, you don't understand yet and that's okay. We need to get to the point in our faith where that is okay. Jesus reminds you that he is the one doing the work and he finishes what he starts. As Job says, you will come out on the other side of this test of faith as pure as gold. The Lord is working, whether we perceive it or not. The artist of artists is making a masterpiece, whether we can make sense of it or not. Let us surrender our need for control. Let us surrender today our need uh, for God to conform to our agenda, and let's enjoy the sweet release of surrender and trust. I want you to reflect today. What have you been grasping or even demanding to understand? Would you be willing to alter your prayer somewhat with me? And say, Lord, I don't have all the details. I need you to help me believe that you have plans for me. That you have plans to give me a hope and a future. Help me to trust in the love that you have for me. Help me to worship regardless of outcomes and answered or unanswered prayers because you are forever worthy. Jesus, may I always rest in the fact that you are the potter and I am the clay and that you are molding me through this journey of faith. And one day, I will understand. Whether it's a week later, a year later, a decade later, or whether it's in heaven, but I will trust that all things are working together for my good. I'm praying that prayer with you today, church. God bless you and let's have this time of prayer.